Anyway, it's nice to be here. It's a surprise to be here. When, when I had the phone call asking me to come and speak, I thought, wow. But I'm here. It's probably because it's a 25th anniversary and a 10th anniversary, but then again, it probably isn't because nobody else will remember. 25 years ago in February, a lady called Constance Nash from Banbury married a man called John Williams from this neck of the woods. And a certain elder from this church by the name of Willie Black went to the wedding which was in Banbury, as a result of which he met the pastor of the church in Banbury, an experienced pastor by the name of Brian Butcher. Put your hand up if you were here 25 years ago. A, a smattering of you. You will remember that the church was having leadership difficulties and Elder Willie asked Pastor Brian if he'd come and do a bit of work with you. I understand, I only heard this afterwards. So Willie invited Brian to come. Brian, bless his heart, eventually suggested to the people here that he knew somebody who might be interested in being your pastor. Unbeknown to me, that is, because he was talking about me. So to cut a long story short, 25 years ago this year, I had contact with Bridge North Baptist Church, and 25 years ago, come August next year, I came to be the pastor. Tenth anniversary of my retiring. So ten years ago in April, I walked out the door and you didn't pay me anymore. I've been loafing around for the last ten years, <laughs> being on the council and being mayor and preaching here and there and helping two churches uh, while they were without minister and helping to raise £200,000 for renovating St. James Hall on Large Lane and being uh, on the Sustainable Bridge North Group and being involved with the Fair Trade Group and, and now being involved with the League of Friends of Bridge North Hospital. So I've been loafing around for the last 10 years. That's why I haven't probably been invited here because you knew I was too busy loafing around. Anyway, here I am invited to come and speak, and this is, a, this is a, a rare event, if not a unique event. I was invited to come and speak and given a word upon which to speak. And invited to choose a reading. Well, I thought about find out some of that word anyway. The word goodness means the quality of being good. And it occurs 39 times in the Old Testament nine times in the New Testament, out of which no times are in the Gospels. And the word goodness apostrophe, which means belonging to goodness, for those of you what don't know grammar, occurs once. Now, it's strange, isn't it, that this word, which you would think was a, a Christian word, doesn't occur in the Gospels. So it's not a word that Jesus used, and it's not a word that gospel writers used about Jesus. Odd or not? Somebody years ago 
told me that they didn't like my style of preaching because it was interrogative. <laughs> I.e., I asked people questions. I did be careful not to ask a direct question of anybody when they were just putting a sweet in their mouths. But I did ask questions. Somebody told me that my preaching wasn't expository. It was hexitational. So this morning, you've got somebody who is interrogative, who is not expository, who is hexitational. You didn't know that, did you? That's why you don't ask me. Anyway, this morning, it's inevitable that I'm going to ask you questions because if I don't ask you questions, you get bored to death because it's me doing all the talking. If I do ask you questions, you might still be bored to death because you might not reply, but I know that you are good at replying because when you've got this nutcase up front here like Mark, you respond to him, and you know, I'm a, a nutcase like he is. So, here we go. Goodness. Do you remember adverts of that ilk? Yes? yes? It's had the top chopped off. What's the top part of the advertising poster? Goodness me, my goodness, my Guinness. Do you remember Peter Sellers and Sophia Loren? Do you remember her singing to him? No? Oh, doctor, I'm in trouble. And he replies, well, goodness gracious me. Have you ever used the words, for goodness sake, in an exasperated way? Have you? When I was a young teenager, I was always falling out with my mother. My dad was called Leonard. And I, I can remember time and time again my mother saying, for goodness sake, Leonard, can't you talk to him? For goodness sake. Used as a, an expression of exasperation but it's also been used historically as something with a proper meaning. In Shakespeare, Wolseley says, for goodness sake, consider what you do, how you may hurt yourself. For the sake of goodness, for the sake of what is right, for the sake of that which is for the health of, think about what you're doing. It occurs in the Bible, you're not familiar with it because we don't read the old version anymore, but in Psalm 25, in the authorized version, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake. The writer is appealing with God to treat him nicely because of God's goodness. 
it's a word that we don't often use. I, I don't use the word goodness very often. Do you? Do you use the word good very often? Yes. I think we do. We use the word good more often than the word goodness. Can we define it? Not very easily. Have you used this as a form of exasperation? Goodness knows, don't ask me. Well, somebody's made it the name of a chocolate bar, of a, of a, 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 a cereal bar. Goodness knows. Some other advertising, all the goodness of natural grain, corn dusted with natural cane sugar and sea salt, all the goodness of natural grain, or all the goodness, none of the grains. What on earth does the word mean? <laughs> what, what do you understand by the goodness of food? It's beneficial to you, yeah? What? Somebody else said something? Healthy. Helps you to grow. Helps your body repair the stuff which has been damaged. Gives you energy. Well, it's easy for me to sort of work out what goodness means in terms of food than it is generally, but think about it. Goodness is that which enables other people to be healthy. Goodness is that which enables other people to grow. Goodness is that which we express which enables damage to be mended. Yeah? No? Yeah. How do you get them to respond to you? They don't. Oh. Asked to choose a reading, the word goodness appears 48 times in the Bible. The reading that I asked to be read did not have the word goodness in it once. Did it? Or have you forgotten already? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Does it work? Does it work to feed your enemy? Does it work to give your enemy a drink when he's thirsty? Let's think about it. If, if you were reading a children's Bible and, and you saw an illustration like that because you don't get them in your big grown-up Bibles, would you know which part of the Bible that would, that's, that will be in? Would you know the story from the Bible in which chariots of fire is used? You've all seen the film. <laughs> no, oh, you haven't seen the film, goodness me. Do you know the bit of the Bible where the words chariots of fire are used? No? Okay, well, you're learning this morning. See, I'm not only, I'm not only an interrogative teacher, I'm preacher, I'm not only whatever, I'm also an educator, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to teach you. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. Do you know the story? You don't know the story, right. Well, the story is the king of Aram is at war with 
the king of Israel. And every time the king of Aram is planning a, a sortie against Israel, somebody tells the king of Israel about it, and so the king of Aram can never catch the king of Israel out. And the king of Aram thinks it's one of his lads that's a traitor, you know, he's a, he's a squeaker, he's a, he's a mole, he's a, or whatever they call them these days. Like what Trump has. And they tell him, not us, sir, it's that prophet Elisha. He finds out from God what's happening and he tells the king of Israel. So the king of Aram sends a, bang, a band of lads, bad lads, to go and get Elisha and do him in. Okay? Right. Like, like Mark said, he told a bit of the story and then he read the Bible. Well, here, here's a bit of the Bible. One morning, Elisha's servant looked out the house. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Because he saw the army of the king of Aram around the place. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and, and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Lord, strike these people with blindness. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you were looking for. Telling lies or what? And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? No, don't kill them, said Elisha. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? No, set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. And they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raising Israel's territory. Do you believe it? Do you, do you believe it wholeheartedly or do you struggle to believe it? Does it work today? Does it work for you? Does it work for our country? Does it work for anybody in the real world today? 
Because if it does, why the heck don't we do it? If instead of killing, we feed, why do we spend our money in thinking about renewing Trident instead of thinking about growing some more food and giving food to the people of whom we're scared? I'm, I'm being... I'm being provocative. I'm, I'm trying to get under your skin. I'm trying to get you to think. Because it's not easy, is it? It's not easy, the expression of goodness, the expression of being good, that the scripture asks of us. They said, I, I, my preaching is exhortational. Well, the scripture that we read was exhortational. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is that not exhortational? Is that not urging us to do something. Goodness will overcome if we give it a chance. It has overcome down the years. When the Apostle Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Down the years, Evil has been overcome by good. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today as a Christian community. In the first few centuries of the Christian era, emperor after emperor tried to get rid of the Christians, and all this lot of emperors were responsible for persecution of the Christians. It wasn't every day, it wasn't every emperor, but the Christians in those first centuries were always, always likely to be in danger. And they were always, always likely to give it up, likely to pack in this business of being a Christian because it wasn't safe, because you might get killed, you might get thrown to the lions, you might have some other nasty thing happen to you. It was not until Constantine came on the scene and he became a Christian in 312 AD that the playing field was tilted toward the Christians and instead of the Christians being a, a persecuted fringe minority, they became acknowledged and Christendom as we call it came into being. In these years, the Christian faith was growing in these years, the number of Christians was growing, they say, more rapidly, percentage-wise, than it ever has done. <coughs> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just wait a minute, because I've lost my page. It's amazing to think that despite a lot of evil, the Christian church grew. Tertullian, a Christian writer, said of the Romans, as often as you mow us down, the more numerous do we become. The blood of the Christians is the seed. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Even though the Christians were persecuted, even though the Christians were being martyred, the Christian faith was growing. Looking back on that era from a bit later on, Augustine said, despite the fiercest opposition, the terror of the greatest persecutions, Christians have held with unswerving faith the belief that Jesus Christ has risen. Hallelujah. And this belief, proclaimed without fear, has yielded a harvest throughout the world, and all the more when the martyr's blood was the seed they sowed. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. How was the church growing rapidly in those first three centuries? Well, it wasn't because they had gifted worship leaders like, like John. It wasn't because they had big preachers like Billy Graham, Billy Graham and that lot, because they weren't allowed. It wasn't because they invited the pagans to come into their wonderfully renovated new church building and experience all the delights that the church had to offer, because that was dangerous. How was the church growing? It was growing because of the goodness of the people. It was growing because the quality of lives of the Christians was outstanding. It was growing because the pagans could not understand why these Christians were so kind, were so merciful, were so generous. Amen. Thank you, sir. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One of my favorite martyrs is Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna. He was martyred in the year 156. He'd done nothing wrong. He was arrested. His only sin, sorry, his only crime was that he was a Christian. And, and he was urged to deny the faith and to sacrifice to Caesar, and he refused. And therefore, they decided to take him in front of the rabble in the auditorium. As he was entering the stadium, there came to Polycarp a voice from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and be a man. No one saw the speaker, but the voice was heard by those of our people who were there. The noise of the crowd increased until it was difficult to hear what was going on. The judge asked Polycarp to swear by the divine power of Caesar and to curse Christ. His reply is one of the treasures of Christian history. Eighty-six years have I served him, said Polycarp, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then, dis how can I then blaspheme my king and my saviour? The magistrate warned him again. Polycarp was adamant, if you vainly imagine that I would swear by the divine power of Caesar, as you say, pretending not to know what I am, hear plainly, I am a Christian. And if you are willing to learn the teaching of Christianity, grant me a day and listen to me. And Polycarp was burned at the stake. But the flames didn't kill him, they had to stab him. Do you know what the name means, translated in Latin, Polycarp, into English? 
it means many fruit. As a result of the martyrdom of people like Polycarp, the Christian church grew because he overcame evil with good. He, was, he refused. He refused to take the easy way out. He refused to do the bad thing. And he stuck up to the end to what he believed. There are others like him. I could go on about martyrs because I think there's a lot that we can learn from martyrs. We moan about the conditions in which we have to be Christians. We moan about the state of the world at the moment. But brothers and sisters, it's nothing like what it was for those early Christians. And they stood up and they were good. And the result of that is we are here today. Don't you think we should thank God that those people did continuing goodness? Don't you think we should thank God that those people did persevere to the end? That they did not give up in doing good? Don't you think we should? Because if you don't agree with me, then you know, you're not justifying your place here. We're only here because of these men and women of old. It didn't end in the first three centuries. People have been good, and people have been expressing goodness ever since. I've, I've missed out the name of the person. Can anybody fill in the name of the person? This is a person's self-written epitaph. You're not, not familiar with it? It was the epitaph of a man called John Newton. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. He was a bad man. He became a Christian, and then he grew in goodness. He became Having been a slave trader, he became an Anglican minister and a prolific hymn writer. And one of his most famous, famous hymns you might know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was lost, was blind. Do you know it? Do you want to sing it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed Through many 
dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Wonderful. Well done. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You've been celebrating the Reformation, 500 years since the work of Reformation, starting with Luther, began. The starting point of Reformation for Luther was the realization of what these verses say. You are saved by grace, not by works. If you remember, Luther had nearly killed himself trying to do more and more good, trying to pray more and more for forgiveness, beating himself up, and then it dawned on him. He was saved by grace. Not saved by grace to sit on his bottom for the rest of his life and wait for heaven, but saved by grace to do the good works that God had prepared in advance for him to do. There's a balance. You don't get salvation by doing good works, but you can't really be saved and not do good works. Somebody said you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You don't get on God's good side by being good, but once God has saved you, he expects you to be good. And he expects this goodness to grow. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. This chap, John Newton, having become a Christian himself, having, having been saved from his life of, of debauchery, then continued to help other people to come into the same place. One of the people that he helped was William Wilberforce. Do you know about William Wilberforce? If you are here 10 years ago, you would have been told something about him by me, because just before I retired 10 years ago, this 200th anniversary of the abolition of the slave trade was celebrated, and William Wilberforce was instrumental in working for the abolition of slavery. He was an MP for Hull. He was like John Newton, a libertine. He was like John Newton, one who, who lived for pleasure. And then he was converted. He became a Christian in 1785. He was considering leaving politics and becoming a vicar. John Newton spoke to him, and John Newton 
urged him to stay where he was and to do the good that God had put him there to do. And this is what uh, Wilberforce heard God say. God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of morality. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For a period of 18 years, again and again and again, he brought a bill to Parliament asking for the abolition of slave trade. But because there was a lot of vested interest, because a lot of people in Parliament were benefiting from, from the slave trade, they shouted him down. Evil was winning. Wilberforce didn't give up. How easily do you give up? Is this something that God has asked you to do and it's not quite working out? Is, is your goodness being thwarted by somebody else's evil? Well, have William Wilberforce as an example. For 18 years, he persevered. And in 2000, and, sorry, <laughs> In 1807, the slave trade was abolished. It, it happened just before John Newton died. John Newton died later in that year. So John Newton had the privilege of, of seeing the fruits of the goodness of Wilberforce when the slavery, slave trade was abolished. Slavery itself was not abolished until 1833. Wilberforce had, had retired from active campaigning by then, but he was privileged to see the act abolishing slavery go through Parliament just before he died. Three days before he died, Wilberforce saw the fruit of his goodness. Wilberforce saw that because he had been unwilling to be overcome by evil, good had, 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 had succeeded. Well, folks, what can we say? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He didn't just get rid of slavery. He did other things. He set up the Society for the Suppression of Vice. Would you like to see a society set up today for the suppression of vice? I've nearly finished, but I shan't be coming again, so you know you can listen for a bit longer. <laughs> society for the suppression of vice. The society was formed following a royal proclamation by George III in 1787. The proclamation for the discouragement of vice as a remedy for the rising tide of immorality. This is George III, 1787. The proclamation commanded the prosecution of those guilty of excessive drinking, blasphemy, profane swearing and cursing, lewdness, profanation of the Lord's day, and other dissolute, immoral 
or disorderly practices. We have a society for the profession of, for the suppression of vice today. It's called the church. And it's called the church that is called not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. The quality of our lives needs to stand out. We don't go about, about shouting about ourselves, we go about being. We go about expressing the fruit of goodness. And if we do, we will succeed. God will vindicate. Evil will be overcome by good. I finish with a few quotes. Edmund Burke, Irish politician and Christian. There is nothing that God has judged good for us that he has not given us the means to accomplish, both in the natural and the moral world. If God has called us to do something good, he will enable us to do it. He also said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That's true. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And lastly, John Wesley, this is exhortational. This is urging. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's exhortational. That's urging. That's not me. That's John Wesley. <laughs>